Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 is back. Glad you're with us as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Brewery, Old Smoky Distillery, right here in Music City, downtown Nashville. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, looking at David Reed, the chairman of the board, making the show happen behind the camera, along with Jakob Swanson. Lance Lee, hope you're feeling well. And uh, Dylan Taylor, making us feel well because the production assistant got it done on the 360 parlay last night, which means he keeps it. We have details on that coming up. I nearly spilled my coffee uh, to begin, which would have been disaster. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Dylan is a winner. Uh, we like to attract winners as winners. production assistants, and he proved last night that he is, in fact, a winner, and we will go back to the winning well tonight and hopefully win a second straight parlay. Paul, how are you? I'm well. I need some information from you guys. Okay. You're, you're more bankers than I am. As I drive around Nashville, Tennessee, um, I find that the second biggest thing being built, where there's something being built on every corner. I'm driving up to our lovely new studio here, and there's a mixed-use building being built, and what is going to go downstairs there? A Fifth Third Bank. We'll set aside the stupidness of Fifth Third's name. How many brick-and-mortar banks must there be? They're going up everywhere. Now, ATMs are very popular. I do occasional banking. I walk into a bank, not very often. I've got an established bank in my neighborhood. How many banks do we need? I don't understand the boom in bank buildings. I, I want to know from you two. Then we'll go to Jacob, Jacob Swanson, who's our real bank guy. <laughs> I picture him spending a lot of time in banks. Why so many banks? Well, it's not the whole building's not a bank. No, I know. So, uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. Why I is it? I see a lot of independent banks going up, though, like out in Brentwood where I live. I imagine in Mount Juliet and Murfreesboro where you guys live in There's Tennessee. There's a lot of banks. There are New banks, independent banks. banks. I want those buildings to be restaurants. Well, Nashville was known for being a big financial district in the South. Well, um, still, those are all, all, you know, offices of banks is one thing. But banks, like where you go and do transactions, how many do we need? I'd like to know um, how many of the buildings that you're talking about, the big buildings in downtown of any city in America, how much is just an advertising deal for the bank, where they really have like two or three floors on a huge building, but they get the building. Yeah. They get you're the signage about, on the building. I'm talking versus about a how, brick and mortar What's the bank percentage building. do they have? A brick-and-mortar bank building where you pull up and park and go into a bank to get a loan or make a deposit or do whatever. I would feel like there's a, a, a top number on that, like, okay, we've maxed out on banks. Yet every second construction site I drive by is a bank being built. I find comfort in more brick-and-mortar oh, banks being you know built. The economy's doing all right? No, because I know that there's legitimate money somewhere. <laughs> right? There's, 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 something, there's something uncomfortable about the thought of a Chinese hacker getting my <laughs> bank account, and then suddenly I can't buy food for my kids because there's been some sort of mistake. And I like the ability, at least even if I don't ever do it or have to do it, in the back of my mind I'm thinking, 
You know, I could go to a region's bank and sit down and talk to someone about what's going on. They know me there. Right, like we go, got, they know my local bankers know me and know that I have exactly, an account and your know what's going on. local bankers know you at the region's bank that you go to. So why are they building 15 more on your route from there to here? Because as the mid-state explodes with population and where we are in middle Tennessee, I think there's more people that need that local banker. I don't know. This is it, it's an interesting observation, Paul, but this is one where I actually feel comfort when I see banks being built. Uh, comfort. I just like I can't imagine from the a, demand. RPD says I live in a little bitty town in northwest Tennessee and we've got 12 banks in this tiny town. So he's agreeing with you with the number of banks. I'm just surprised there's that much like foot traffic at this many banks. I picture a lot of bankers sitting there doing Sudoku. Waiting. A lot of loans being being written at these banks. That's it's it's more than just cashing checks. They, no, I know, but <laughs> they're they're, uh, they're every time contracts. every time I walk into a bank, like say I don't have my ATM card on me and I need yeah. to make a deposit, I walk right to the front. There's no problem. There are like three tellers there. They're all like, "Hey, a person, how you doing?" <laughs> what uh, speaking of cashing checks, what do training camp players get paid? I, you know what? I, this is funny that you asked this because uh, I don't have the numbers at the top of my head. But once in a while, when I look at the analytics on my site, one of the top stories I, that people go back to is yeah. what do training camp guys get paid? Um, the reason I asked that I'll is go find it, it. everyone's referencing. Tim Tebow, by the way, released uh, today part of the first five cuts where teams by, I think, three or four o'clock today – um, have to be down to 85 players. They're at 90 to begin camp. They have to cut down to five going into preseason game number two. And so the stories that are referencing Tebow say he signed the league minimum contract, which he did, but that's if he makes the roster. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with what has he's has nothing made. to do with what he's made over the last two or three weeks in camp uh, and since he actually signed his contract. Now, he would get a signing bonus if he had one. I'm assuming he had a small one. Um, but it's not like this guy came in and Urban Meyer made him several hundred thousand dollars just by practicing and not being able to block. Um, uh, this, this was a, a, a real attempt at doing something back in the NFL. Uh, he was willing to switch positions to do it. Didn't work out. And I heard a good argument made last night in an article I was reading where the debate was made that the Jags should go ahead and cut ties with him now as opposed to waiting around. And we had this discussion yesterday on what they would do because if you don't cut him now, you're, you're essentially saying you're keeping him around at least until the final cut-down day uh, because he's, quite frankly, worthy of being cut right now. You, so you wouldn't wait another cut if you're trying to evaluate other players. You only keep those around that you want to see for another game. The argument was made that it's not that he missed a block or did this or that in the preseason game. It was that he was legitimately going to get another player hurt because of how he was playing the tight end position. And when you weigh that aspect of this time of year, uh, if that's true and you, you don't have room for him on a travel roster in the preseason or you don't have room for him uh, to, to, to be active in preseason game number two for that reason, you cut ties now as part of your first five. In 2018, I found my story. So this is before the new CBA. So these numbers have gone up. You got room and board and uh, a rookie got $1,075 a week. A veteran got 1900 a week. That's, per, that's adding up the per diem. Yeah. So that's, they basically pay you a living expense on top of the room and board. 
Um, so it's not, oh, yeah, it's not, not a lucrative it's, thing. It's not lucrative, but it, it's also, uh, they make things extremely easy on you. Right. But so this is free money because terms. you're being fed and right. housed. Yes. And then you get per diem on the road if you have a preseason road game. Right. You know, so um, all, all of that, all of that considered, it, it wasn't hard on Tim Tebow and, and, and Jacksonville Jaguars training camp. I just want to put in perspective when you see that he signed a league minimum deal. Nothing in the NFL is fully guaranteed like that. He would have to make the 53 in order to actually reap the rewards of a league minimum deal that everyone's referencing today in these stories that Urban Meyer signed him to. Uh, it's the right call, though. No guaranteed money in his oh, contract. There you go. So he, so he, he made gets nothing. that weekly. That's it. And that's it, yeah. And his deal was worth uh, 920 which I think is the that's veteran the league minimum. vested veteran league minimum. Now, the, can we get to a post-mortem for Tim Tebow in this Jacksonville sure. experiment now? Because I find myself racking my brain to find what was gained by this, but also what was lost by this. I know there's excitement. There's, there's too much excitement on one end around Tim Tebow, and there's too much outrage on the other end around Tim Tebow. When I keep thinking about what was lost with Tim Tebow, the only thing that I can think is what was lost is the remote chance of some seventh tight end to get an opportunity at camp to wow Urban Meyer and the coaches and to make the roster. Because it's not like Tim Tebow's costing someone money yeah, I'm not or a lot of money for the, for the training camp part of it. But then also, Paul, I look at it and I say, what was gained by all of this other than Tim Tebow having a chance to go to fantasy camp? I mean, this is Tim Tebow years after playing football, given the ability by his coach, his old coach, to essentially go what, you know, uh, George Costanza did on Seinfeld at Yankees spring training and go to a fantasy camp. I mean, that's, that's what this was, but he was playing in NFL games. So I, I don't really know how to look at this Tim Tebow experiment because, again, I don't know what really happened. Nothing was gained and lost. If you want to point to something gained, it's the amount of money made by selling Tim Tebow jerseys to yeah, fans. And I'd like to see final numbers on that. I agree with you. There's no big gain or big loss. I think it's a, it was uh, – we've seen Urban Meyer's adjustment to the NFL – uh, be a little bit clumsy at times. You know, he makes complaints, Hutton, that are legitimate complaints about the operation, some, but they some make it some are. legitimate complaints. But they are inherent in the job that he took that he seems almost naive to. Well, you sign these free agents, but you don't really know them. Yeah, that's the job, though. I mean, you, well, you came into the league. So You're pointing you out that it's, it's ridiculous, but you came into the ridiculous league that operates that way. Have you heard his recent complaint? I don't know. So his, his recent complaint, and, and this is what, like, um, uh, Norm Chow had a huge problem grasping this concept of the preseason, where, and I, I kind of see where they're coming from, from the world they were in in college football. You don't have a preseason. You have a camp, and you get ready for week one, and then you go out and you execute what you've been practicing. In the preseason, you build up to these preseason games, and then you dumb it down to a level where you don't want to show anything. You don't do what you've been working on. And so he, does, it, he was complaining. He's like, I don't understand the concept of working on an offense and then not showing and working on things in real, at real speed. It, he, he's struggling with that aspect of it, which I understand. Like it it kind of... But again, it's that it surprises you. But yeah, but you're, you dumb it down and then you're running some very basic concepts to evaluate your talent instead of evaluating them based on their knowledge of the offense and executing that what you've, you've been working on. Two weeks installed. But that's the NFL. 
And it, those, those are type of the, the type of things that he's just signed up for that you would think he would know. And he's saying these things after a game. And he's being honest about it, which I appreciate. But at the same time, there's a vast difference between the NFL and the college coaching style in that regard. And, and Norm Chow had a huge issue with that. Uh, there are stories when Norm Chow was here as uh, first year as offensive coordinator trying to install his offense and not, it, he wanted Vince to play longer. It, it, preseason game number one, he didn't understand why they weren't running certain things to set up other plays in a game because his argument was, we're playing, I'm trying to win. He didn't understand that the score didn't matter. And I, I think when you're so you Jeff actually, Fisher publicly always talked about the importance of winning those games, which was a mixed message also right. for a guy coming into the league. Yeah, right, you so, want me to win the game, and I've got all these resources to win the game, but you don't really want me to do the things I could do to win the game. It's, it's a, it's but a, you're talking about winning the game. It's a foreign language to, yeah. to the coaches of the college football lifestyle where you show up and then you actually don't care about the performance on the scoreboard as much as you are trying to set up certain players for evaluation, but you're really not showing anything at the same time that you're going to show in week one. It's, it's, it would be a very difficult balance for me. Well, Norm Chow was, had cause to be much more naive than Urban Meyer does. He's an offensive coordinator, first off, the behind-the-scenes guy, sure. so to speak, you know. And I came across later as a doddering old man when some of this stuff came to light, and that's fine. But he still wasn't the, the guy leading the troops into battle who's got control of the operation. Urban Meyer has control of the operation. I just think the control freak element of him, and we've covered this, is going to be his undoing the way it was that, for Saban. And I don't know that anything came out of the Tebow stuff. Some guys formed a good relationship with him and got some good vibes out of him. And, and it, that's not worthless, and but I it's not going to be important come week five. I don't disagree with what you're saying about the control freak element of it because players, in, in general terms, don't deal well with that in an NFL locker room. In the long haul. But you could also make the argument if Drew Brees ends up in Miami, who knows what happens with Saban's general theme. But see, right? So like, my point is, He's got Trevor Lawrence. So that may actually work out better for Urban Meyer than it did Saban, just based on the positional talent alone. It could. But there are things about having Trevor Lawrence that you then want to control around oh, Trevor Lawrence that you can't control around yeah. Trevor Lawrence that at Ohio State and Florida you could control. Yeah, I'm going to shock you guys. I'm going to do something that every media member uh, that we know and that we would even say would warn you against doing. I'm going to completely change my opinion based on a, a little bit of preseason and, and one preseason game. Uh, I thought Urban Meyer would succeed and succeed in a big way in the NFL. I think he's going to be a complete failure. Love it. Welcome. I, I to thought the, he was welcome. going to succeed because Urban Meyer has been successful everywhere he's been. So why would I bet against Urban Meyer to succeed in the NFL? I also thought he was going to succeed because the best college coaches in history typically adapt and change. Nick Saban is not that far removed from bitching and complaining about the speed of offenses in college football. And then he got on board and he created the best offense in college football with his program. He joined in because he had to adapt at some point. Go back to Bear Bryant. He changed his offense and style many times over. Urban Meyer's never had to change. Urban Meyer at Bowling Green, same coach he was at Utah, gets a much better job than Utah at Florida. Didn't have to change, won two national titles, goes to Ohio State, wins national championships. He's never had to adapt or change. I don't know that he is capable of adapting and changing. 
So I think that I overestimated, just by Urban Meyer's response to the NFL, his surprise at things that we all know about the NFL, shows me that he is probably a guy that's unwilling to adapt or change. And I, for that reason, he's not going to succeed. He, he, will, he will succeed or fail based on how he handles the, the, first, the, the early portion of losses that are coming his way. He had a combined nine losses, Chad, I believe, over seven years as the head coach at Ohio State. I mean, the guy is used to winning. So what happens? It's no different than a quarterback. Trevor Lawrence has barely lost, uh, even going back to high school. So how do they handle the short-term failure for the long-term gain? What, what is the long-term plan? And are you able to stick with it when things are not going well and it's not exactly what you signed up for right out of the chute? That, that's, that's the most difficult aspect. Think of it, you know, I was watching uh, the, the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction ceremony, Paul, for, for Peyton Manning, where they mentioned he won three games as a rookie, and that was extremely difficult for him to deal with. The following year, they went 13-3. and three. So are, are they willing to build around Lawrence and Urban Meyer and set the franchise up the same way that they built around Peyton Manning? Well, they don't have a choice. Well, that, that, but there's a patience level with it that it, it, some coaches don't just – they can't sit back and relax and, and yeah. take it. He's got to be patient. Do that? He's got to be patient. His owner's going to be patient. They were patient with damn Doug Maroon. They were patient with, uh, well, you know, a, but a lot of coaches. While he's, while he's won, while he's won wherever he's been, Chad, he hasn't, he's also bolted, <laughs> right? Like he's come up with excuses to leave programs. Well, he's going to get a migraine this so year. So what sure. happens when things go, go bad hard, hard or issue. south early in Jacksonville? Because that's stack on a that's likely going to happen. I mean, there are bumps along the way for any coach, especially with a rookie quarterback and a young overall roster. But – you understand my point that yes. he's been Urban Meyer everywhere. He's not changed one bit. I mean, when things around him get tough, he bolts. But they don't get tough for a while because the sheer force of Urban Meyer and his program and the way he's constructed his program everywhere he's been in college leads to immediate success. Everywhere he's been. It's not going to lead to immediate success with Jacksonville. We know that going in. So you're right, Hutton. It is going to have a lot to depend on how he responds and Trevor Lawrence responds and the organization above him responds to some early failures. But I, the more and more I hear Urban Meyer speak and the problems that he has with the NFL, having elected to become an NFL coach, it shows me that even when he experiences those failures, well, he's not going to adapt. Well, I, 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 want, I, I need to go back. Like, he's going to continue rubbing, me, running his head into a brick wall. I'm, I'm reacting to what Urban Meyer is saying based on a question he's asked about evaluating talent after preseason game number one, where he says it's hard to evaluate because we dumb it down to a point where we're not doing anything or showing our hand. Well, he's like, allowed to not dumb I, it down. I understand that aspect. Um, of the frustration level of trying to answer a question from the media where they're judging and grading you on a preseason game where you're not even working on, or you're running some things, but again, it's very basic concepts and you're working in a lot of different players uh, and different, different ideas. You're not game planning. And so he's answering it like, look, at, I've never done this before. Like th this, this defies logic for me to not game plan and try to win and, and do things based on what we're working but on. But here he is falling in line. You know, Sean McVay is uh, is a um, different coach, right? Everybody's excited about John Mc uh, Sean McVay, has been excited about Sean McVay because he's different. So he's gone to one extreme with the preseason. You're never going to see Matthew Stafford play in a preseason game as long as I'm here. He doesn't play his starters. 
Urban Meyer, if he's having such trouble with this, go ahead and scheme a little bit. Well, what good does that do if you're scheming against a team that's not scheming? They're not running anything you're studying. So why are you scheming? Yeah, well, you can, you can find something that's a little more satisfying for you. I mean, you, you can scheme against a I, base 4-3, but yeah. I mean, what, what, it's not going to help you. Well, it might I mean, help you more than, than whatever, but yeah. How many, how many joint practices do they have, I, I wonder, for Jacksonville? Because if you're not satisfied with what the preseason games offer you for an evaluation tool, the alternative to that is to schedule as many joint practices as you can get. Did he do that? No, that's true. I don't know. Um, there are 21 NFL teams that are holding joint practices this year. But also, so let me scroll through and find it. Sean McVay's approach and his different approach comes from being born and bred through the NFL right. and not college football. So these are, this is his basis of experience as an NFL coach and now a head coach is what he's doing. Urban Meyer's sole experience is really as, as a head coach for sure Absolutely. in college. So he's just taking that. And I, I don't say this to say that I think Urban Meyer's dumb. He's clearly not. He's a smart guy, but he's very stubborn. And sometimes, as a coach, stubborn can be a good thing. It can be a quality. I don't think when you're transitioning from dynamo, uber-successful college coach to NFL head coach, that stubbornness is going to be the way to success. I think it's going to be adaptability, listening to smart people around you that have been in the NFL. And I don't think Urban Meyer is going to do any of that. I've said that from that we day, I said that from day one. Uh, the jury's still out for me on him. I. I mean, to me, he sat back and analyzed the situation and he was able to pick and choose the, the spot he wanted to go to. So I, I don't while he's answering some things truthfully, I don't think he just walked in blind and thought, oh, I can do what I did at Florida and Ohio State and do it in Jacksonville. I think Agreed. he's had other options, but I think it will be hard for him not to have control of some things in the in the long run. Uh, Jacksonville, by the way, control. they had a they had a joint practice schedule with the Saints, which was canceled. So that, so, that hurts him. Um, that, but there are a number of joint practices across the league. Jacksonville's not one of them. One thing on, uh, to circle back that you raised um, last week about the Titans having officials at their practice and being one, only, mm -hmm. uh, one of only two teams. That is only because it was early, right? So every team can request officials for one session, a couple days. Most teams request them for the joint practices that they host. So like the Bucks request is for Wednesday and Thursday against the Titans. So the Titans get to double dip. They had officials for a couple days at their home and the Bucks will have officials for a couple days at their home. But so the Titans had them early, but most teams will get them for two days at their home somewhere along the way. And the Titans and whoever else it was that you mentioned that had them early just had them early. But by the time camp, by the time training camps are done, August 26th, presumably everybody will have had them for two days at their camp. But most teams that host uh, host uh, joint session are going to have them for those two days. Coming up, we will hit a variety of topics throughout the hour. We just hit on Tebow. Uh, did you guys, <laughs> the, uh, the Max Scherzer story in L.A., how he's not a fan of one type of celebration from a manager? We'll get into the details on this. Um, we, we have uh, Julio Jones uh, in, in reaction and in reading reaction and, and listening to some postgame thoughts in Atlanta over the weekend. Um, they, the, Atlanta's not happy with the way Julio Jones left the Falcons, which – to me, it raises the question, 
is there a good way to leave a city anymore <laughs> if you're a star player, uh, given everything that, that uh, Julio has meant to the Atlanta Falcons organization? Kansas City rebuilding the offensive line, but they are the clear-cut favorite in the AFC, according to the odds makers. Uh, there's Buffalo that's right behind them. But are we buying Kansas City as a run-it-back type team for the third consecutive year? We'll, we'll discuss that. Plus, Pittsburgh's trying to put together one final run with Big Ben. All of that straight ahead this hour prior to the Tennessee Power Hour where we get into Titans Vols and much, much more. It's all coming up on OutKick 360, a new partner with OutKick 360, Toyos Clinic and Dr. Rolando Toyos, helping you see better, look better. I had LASIK uh, procedure, uh, 2016 is when I had my uh, LASIK procedure done with Dr. Rolando Toyos. Technology's even better now, and even then, it's not like I was wearing sunglasses doing a show the day after my procedure. I was back to work and right back at it the very next day. Toyosclinic.com is the website for more information. If you're ready to enjoy the freedom of not wearing glasses or contact lenses, Toyos Clinic is where I turn to. Do like I did. Visit Dr. Rolando Toyos and Toyos Clinic, the number one LASIK provider in Tennessee. They now offer the latest technology, with, which is the Smile Flapless LASIK. Flapless LASIK, the very next day, you can swim, you can work out, you can wear makeup. It is so accurate and convenient that Navy SEALs are getting this procedure. MMA fighters and boxers go right back into training after the procedure with Dr. Rolando Toyos and Flapless LASIK. And a common misconception is that depending on your age, a remedy to upgrade your eyesight isn't always available. Ages 18 to 88, if you want out of your glasses, Dr. Toyos and Toyos Clinic can help you. If you're 50 or older, ask about the refractive lens exchange. Those are ways Dr. Rolando Toyos helps you see better. Dr. Melissa Toyos can help you look better, and it's all at toyosclinic.com. You can also call Dr. Toyos today, 800-603-1989. 800-603-1989. Dr. Toyos and Toyos Clinic. See better, look better. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network live from 6th and Peabody. Our studio's here, downtown Nashville, with Yeehaw and Old Smokey. Um, Dave Roberts, manager for the Dodgers, uh, told a story on Sunday Night Baseball uh, this was Sunday night, of course, but the week prior at the trade deadline when Max Scherzer joined the team, uh, he said after the first outing or first couple innings, he went over to Scherzer coming off the mound going into the dugout and gave like the typical butt slap to Scherzer. And Scherzer turned around and said, don't you effing touch me. Meaning like, I don't want anything to do with an ass slap. Get it out of here. And, and, <laughs> Dave Roberts was like, okay, apparently he's not, he's not into not that whatsoever. Uh, My bad. <laughs> it was just a, a funny story uh, when they were asking about Scherzer and his intensity and his mentality joining the Dodgers. Uh, that was the first thing that, that Dave Roberts thought of was, yeah, he's, he's not a big fan of the butt slap. Pretty harmless gesture that's pretty common. I'm sure there's an ill-timed Trevor Bauer joke I can make right now <laughs> that I'm just going to avoid at all costs. I'm steering, steering away from it. Um, but yeah, that, oh. that is a pretty intense response it's to a, what is a standard it's intense. A sports celebration. Here was the quote from Scherzer about it. He said, this is my job. I don't need any kind of congr congratulations or support because that's my job. <laughs> that's, how, that's how he approaches the start to every game. Like, 
don't touch me. I got this. Don't want support or congratulations. I mean, team sports are going to get support and congratulations. It's just kind of part yeah, of it. Yeah, that's, that's a weird request. It's part of the job. I can, also, you know, I can also understand if you trade for Max Scherzer and how great he really is, that you might sit down with him before and say, like, how do you like to be managed? You know, what's your routine on start days? How do you like, where do you like to sit in the dugout when you're starting? Yeah. You can kind of lay all that out. But I don't even know if you have that meeting you get into. What's butt your butt slap, slap preference? Right. No celebration? High five? A fist bump? What do you want to do? No physical touching at all? That seems like a, a, like a day seven thing you get into when you get acclimated by to a new way, franchise. Coach. Let's not do that. By the way, Skip. And also, I think there's a better way for him to say that to his manager, uh, regardless of intensity. Than saying, "Don't you ever bleeping do that again?" You well, could probably it, say, "Hey, coach, just Dave Roberts, let's not worry about congratulating." Roberts said he turned anyway. around to somebody. He's like, "Did he just say, don't effing touch me?'" Is that what he just said? Because he did it as he walked by. It's also something that only happens in sports. Um, the butt slap. Yeah, it's hard to find another avenue where that's acceptable practice. Yeah. Uh, when or you're where you talk someone. to your manager, uh, your boss, like that. Oh, go ahead, Paul. Tell me how you don't talk to your bosses. Well, I've, like I've talked to my bosses like that. <laughs> Paul works in sports media, so he can talk to his bosses that way. Yeah, in most businesses, you can't. Um, Again, I think it's a very over-the-top response uh, early on in your tenure. He could have just... Now, I'm, I'm also not one to stand in the way of greatness, and if this is your process, <laughs> this is like Daniel Day-Lewis uh, having to be Abraham Lincoln at all times. You're, uh, I'm, actually, I'm watching this uh, documentary, Val, about Val Kilmer that he made it on Amazon, which is great. But he basically was ruining his marriage playing Jim Morrison because he was Jim Morrison of the Doors 24-7. Mm. Did we need to document Val Kilmer? It's, it's very good. Did he warrant documentation? I think, well, he's, he created the documentary. It's him and his son. Oh, seems a little... The documentary, so he's documenting himself. And you'll see the state that he's in now, why he's documenting his life at this point. Um, but... That's his process, and he's great as Jim Morrison. So mm. what is the level of intensity slash maniacal behavior that you are willing to accept to get to greatness? And I guess for Max Scherzer, that level of intensity is do not bleeping touch me to your manager speak to in me. one of your first starts when he slaps you on the rear end. It's a little much for me, but <laughs> hey, go throw a shutout. Maybe I'll, uh, for me, yeah. and I'll, maybe I'll change my mind. Yeah. Um, Kansas City Chiefs, they are the favorite in the AFC. Uh, in, in every interview uh, that we would do about the Titans or uh, if we're previewing the NFL, Chiefs are at the top of the AFC for a reason. I mean, they have Patrick Mahomes. They have a legitimate scoring offense. Their defense is vastly improved from a couple of years ago. Um, a very good team. That we know. The question is, are we buying them? Are we betting the Chiefs again to run it back for a third consecutive year uh, when you take into account what they're doing across their offensive line where they may have as many as three rookies starting on the offensive line for a front that was very good over the last two years uh, that now is being rebuilt due to salary cap constraints and other things that have taken place. Uh, I was doing a, a chat yesterday with uh, a radio show out of Rhode Island. They're previewing the, the Patriots competition and doing some NFL previews divisionally and uh, they were on to the Titans we were discussing the Titans here in Nashville and expectations and it sparked my interest because they they compared the Titans to the Chiefs and a Michael Lombardi um, uh, column that he put out where he was explaining how to go about beating the Chiefs how you dethrone Kansas City from the AFC it's a very specific game plan 
that only a handful of teams can really match up and, and accomplish. And what Lombardi is saying at The Athletic is the formula is very specific and you have to follow the formula if you want to take them down. Uh, you have to have an adaptable scheme, um, which takes out a lot of teams automatically. The willingness to play complementary football in all three phases, patience, which a lot of teams don't have. A lot of teams chase when they get down against KC. And he referenced the Cleveland Browns, that, who almost pulled this off. It was 22-17, the final score. Kansas City got up quickly. Cleveland stuck with the all three phases game plan and battled back. Didn't win, but that was the close but no cigar reference that Lombardi references. Um, a team that beats the Chiefs must be able to rush four down linemen or a linebacker, pressure Mahomes inside with four, and never allow him to move to his right. It's imperative that you do this the entire game, not allow Mahomes to move to his right. A huge emphasis on rush lane integrity. Getting in front of Mahomes before he throws is paramount. And then he goes on to say you've got a double Tyreek Hill on every play. It is not every now and then, or it's not two out of three plays. It is every single play, which means you have to have a safety that is capable of covering Travis Kelsey one-on-one, -on -one because you, in this case, you wouldn't be doubling Kelsey. Um, you have to double Hill every play. And so in thinking about that, the, the show I was on was referencing teams in the AFC and battling Kansas City, and they wanted to know how the Titans matched up to this plan. Honestly, it's Tennessee, Buffalo, Cleveland. It's the teams we're discussing. But I thought, and I, I brought this up yesterday, guys, is it easier to do this now against Kansas City because of the rookie element up front on their offensive line? Are we talking about that enough when considering what Kansas City is capable of doing in 2021? First off, didn't know Hutton was so big in New England, especially yeah. Rhode Island. A big-time guest. They said it was the Rhode sixth consecutive year I've been on. I it's amazing. We've, uh, we have torn up the town of Providence a couple times well, on trips maybe, up there, so yeah. maybe they remember the legend of, of our show going to Providence. But either way, kudos to you for being that such a, a legend in Rhode Island. Up there. The Italian Ooh. place that you and I went to, very nice. The mob-owned, yeah. <laughs> formerly mob-owned, allegedly. Really formerly mob-owned place. Special really place. good. Um, Chad was asked to join. Uh, yes. I'm Invitation only. Consigliere. I was more of a consigliere. I'm not a made man yet, but I am, a, <laughs> I am of counsel uh, to the Providence mob. So it's, getting to the, it's, it's defeating that offensive line. I, I think it's as simple as that. And that's what Tampa Bay could do uh, a year ago. Just destroyed them. I mean, it, it was not even fair it was not, to watch that right. game where it was it an was, immediate. Right. It was like watching a college flag football game with no offensive line where the ball is snapped and Patrick Mahomes is in distress immediately on every play. No Mississippi. You that's, that's the simple formula to beat Tampa Bay. So are they vulnerable now with this young, unproven offensive line? Trey Smith from Tennessee as a starter, as a six-round pick, as an example. I would say yes, but I would also say it cannot be any worse than what we saw in how they tried to protect Patrick Mahomes a year ago. I know Patrick Mahomes is walking off that field, and he's talking with the GM. The GM said, we're going to fix this. We're going to do everything we can to fix these protection issues for you moving forward. And I think about Buffalo, probably more equipped, uh, Baltimore defensively more equipped to do something like that to affect Patrick Mahomes. I think about the Titans here in Nashville, and I think I got to see something to believe they're going to affect anyone, even with a bad offensive line when you're going against it. But I really think the simple formula, if you're going to beat the Chiefs in the AFC and get to a Super Bowl, it's replicate what Tampa was able to do and making that offensive line look silly. And I, I, 
the hierarchy of teams in the AFC that can do that, that's Tampa-like, I think is a very short list. Well, there's only a few, Paul, that can actually get to the quarterback with four. Yeah, I, and I mean, some of the things you talked about there, the Titans fit. The, the Titans can game plan week to week and change form very easily. Can they rush with four? You know, they, they haven't been able to rush with four effectively, consistently for a long time. Now, but entered Bud Dupree, uh, entered Danico Autry, their nickel front four should be a lot better. You could plug them into that formula. They're not going to change. They're not going to go away from Derrick Henry when they're down. You know, they play three-phase football, all of that. Can they double Hill and and man-to-man Kelsey with Bayer? Conceivably, we don't know about the corners yet who would double Hill. Uh, You know, but formulaically, like what they've built towards, it sounds like they're building to be able to do what you describe. Now, do the pieces fit and can they work is, is another question entirely. But are they building in a direction where if things pan out, they would be able to do that? Yeah. And the Bills, the bills as well. They have Starlo yes. to Lele. The Bills uh, also pass rush is a big issue for them. They've spent three high draft picks in the last two years trying to add to a pass rush that has been their one big week. And the, the one this year is Gregory Rousseau, who, who is there. They have Ed Oliver, uh, who's playing on the interior. Uh, Jerry Hughes is another pass rusher in Buffalo. The question is, can you get there with four? And then, and then they have uh, a very talented secondary with the Bills as well. Uh, an improved run game with Singletary and Zach Moss. Um, that you feel like when healthy, Moss can be the, the lead back there. Um, and then, of course, the, the balance offensively to play the same style. Cleveland? I mean, Cleveland's we know they like have the pass Titans. rush. Yeah, and they've got – Cleveland's a lot like the Titans offensively. Mm-hmm. They, they run the ball. I don't, Baker Mayfield doesn't have the accuracy of Ryan Tannehill and everything. But, the, but shape-wise, they're similar. And their pass rush is um, – just on Miles Garrett alone is very, very good. He's a singular player. If you're picking a pass rusher in the NFL right now, he's probably the one that you would take. He's the one I would take. Um, so all of these teams have – ways to make their bid against Kansas City. Here's what I keep thinking about the Chiefs. First off, it's really hard to go to the Super Bowl three years in a row, right? I I would think there'd be some regression just there because the breaks go against you at some point. And changing your entire offensive line. Orlando Brown by trade from Baltimore, good left tackle. Joe Thune, left guard, unrestricted free agent from New England. Creed Humphrey, second rounder at center. Trey Smith, who we've talked about, sixth rounder at right guard. Looks like Lucas Niang, a 2023rd rounder at right tackle. That's a lot of change, a lot of cohesion that needs to go on there. Andy Heck, a very good offensive line coach. But this makes me think, was it two years ago or last year, where Steve Spagnuolo was, came in to replace Bob Sutton. Two years ago. And I thought it would take a long time for their defense. And they won some games during their transition. And then seven, eight games into the season, they were a whole a Super defense. Bowl year. And they they, they, that's also the they year, got through it. That's also the year when Mahomes was hurt. And they got through that, too. They, they were able to bridge the gap. Their defense turned around the same time that Mahomes came back. So they've showed that they could... Yeah. could can transition yeah. during the course of a season and that was on their weak side of the ball not their Andy Reid side of the ball <laughs> well the key part of this is, is Mahomes but it's also can you double hill and man cover Kelsey <laughs> that's that I mean this is a very strict game plan that if we're betting the Chiefs, I, I brought this up because it's hard to bet against the Chiefs 
even if you're not buying, they can't make it three consecutive years because there's not many teams that can fit this mold and description defensively. You're still giving up yards to Hill and Kelsey, yeah. right? You've got to hold them to a couple field goals. You've got to be, uh, you've got to eat clock with your drives. You've got to get touchdowns, not field goals. Yes. All of those things still yeah. apply. Like those are the factors that are the simple stuff that Lombardi didn't have to go to where he's going second level here. But still, I, I've got a little Kansas City fatigue, I'll admit. I think a lot of teams in the AFC have gotten better and are, are making progress. And I think somebody's going to pick them off. I don't know who, but I don't expect to see Kansas City in a third consecutive But Super think Bowl. about that story. If Kansas City mm. completely puts out a new offensive line, wins the a- AFC, gets back to a Super Bowl, and wins it, and now you've got two out of three years, the Chiefs of the Super Bowl champs, and the storyline of this was a team that got embarrassed on the offensive line against Tampa in one Fixed year, it. came back the next year, um, and that was against a 43-year-old quarterback you know, at the time. <laughs> and then you've got the, still this young, in his prime, coming into his prime, Patrick Mahomes. And oh, by the way, they got to another Super Bowl, failed because the offensive line, completely turned over the offensive line. They get back and win it the next year. You're, you're saying, Paul, you're getting Chiefs fatigue? Imagine the Chiefs oh, fatigue yeah. setting in at that point. Because we're sitting here having this well, discussion next offseason saying, is anyone going to beat them for the next five years? Then you start talking or are dynasty. we looking at the next Patriots? Yeah, then you start talking dynasty. And the thing is, if they go to and win a Super Bowl, odds are they're winning it against Brady or Rodgers. In the NFC, I'm having trouble finding – in the AFC, we keep talking about this. I see a lot of teams that I think could potentially go to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Chiefs at the head of the pack, Bills, Titans, Browns. I'm not as high on Baltimore, but there's a path for that. Baltimore, I I like the Chargers, too, a lot. Baltimore, to me, does not fit what you're talking about, Lombardi's game plan. They're not flexible at all. They have to win a certain way. And I don't know that that way matches up against Kansas City. But you go to the NFC, and if I take the Bucs, and the, and the Packers off the board, who's the third best team? Who, who, who's going to show up in the Super Bowl to play Kansas City or whoever? I don't know who that is. Somebody will emerge. That's, yeah, that's turning over. But there's yeah. a lot of turnover there, right? Yep. So if the, if the Chiefs are winning a second Super Bowl in three years, going to a third Super Bowl in three years, I would say the odds suggest they're going to beat one of those two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Um, hard to get bet against Brady in a Super Bowl, obviously. And if Rodgers can get this team there, what a story that's going to be after everything that, that the Packers have gone through. How do we feel about the Pittsburgh Steelers and Big Ben at this point? We discuss what uh, their mindset is loading up for one more run with Ben Roethlisberger and the approach to practice, um, which I, I think would be an interesting chart to figure out quarterback to quarterback what Pittsburgh's doing with Ben Roethlisberger right now at the veteran level compared to the majority of quarterbacks across the league in one key area of practice. That's all straight ahead. First, though, gainful. Look, there's nothing more personal than your health. So when it comes to finding the right nutritional supplements to meet your fitness goals, you need a personalized approach. Thankfully, there's now Gainful, the personalized nutrition system that's formulated for your body and goals. Gainful gives you peace of mind that your protein, your hydration, your pre-workout supplements contain the finest ingredients specifically for you, and, and they taste great. I highly recommend, you see it on your screen, the strawberry lemonade flavor. It's delicious. And you can get started by taking a simple five-minute Gainful quiz. Gainful considers your dietary needs, 
goals and unique physiology to personalize your formula and gainful delivers your supplements with no shipping charge every month you can cancel anytime or adapt your plan as needed all gainful products are formulated by their on-staff registered dietitians and are backed by pro-level exercise scientists on their science advisory board and paul right now they've got a great offer going on you get twenty dollars off your personalized supplements you go to gainful.com slash outkick 360 gainful.com slash outkick 360 for twenty dollars off gainful personalized nutrition for your tastes outkick 360 we are back across the outkick network crew is all here david reed is making the show happen as the chairman of the board also jacob swanson becca risley and sleepy danny here as well lance lee feel better um, Paul posed the question on Twitter this way. Should we include Pittsburgh in the AFC conversation? And I think that's a good way to phrase this question because it comes down to are you buying that Ben Roethlisberger is, and by the way, Steelers won 12 regular season games a year ago. Are you buying that Ben Roethlisberger is going to be Big Ben for at least one more season? That The Steelers are loading up and doing that and buying into that. And, and the approach is a little bit different, in some cases drastically different in this regard, for training camp this year. Uh, Roethlisberger taking shotgun snaps, which we knew. But he said, look, last year I was throwing thousands of footballs in the offseason because he was rehabbing. And it's been completely different this offseason where he got away from it. He wasn't really throwing very much at all. And it's been more of a normal routine in Pittsburgh to begin training camp where Paul, in some cases, um, he's throwing as little as 90 passes for the entire practice. That's hard to do as the starting quarterback where you're getting starting reps and the majority of the reps are headed your way. They were so bad late last season that I'm having trouble getting back on board and discounting them because I see all these other teams. I see all these other teams on the rise, and I'm, I've got uh, recency bias against their failures at the end of last season. Obviously, they, they've got a running back now mm-hmm. who should help transform that offense. A very tough division with Cleveland on the rise and with Baltimore being a difficult team to play against. Um, and Joe Burrow's gonna gonna pick off some teams there uh, occasionally, like he did to the Titans last year. Um, but I ha- I have trouble getting behind the Steelers as a big contender. I just think he's getting old. I don't think he's the same. Um, I I think that defensive front will miss Dupree. Uh, as it missed Dupree last year when he was out down the stretch for them after he tore his ACL. Tore his ACL against Baltimore, which was their first loss. I know they signed Mel- Melvin Ingram, um, you know, and he's coming off some health issues himself. Yes. That's a pretty good replacement. Uh, they have a way of finding guys. Um, they still have Watt. Uh, they could surprise, for, for sure. But, but is it a surprise? I mean, they were 12-5 and five last year. Yeah, well, they ended so badly. That's why they crashed. I mean, uh, bowing out in the postseason, you know, with the loss. But my, my point is, like, they, uh, if they – Roethlisberger thinks that it, by resting his arm, it's going to benefit the shoulder and the elbow this year. And, he, look, he's fit, right? He looks as good he as looks, he's ever looked. Yeah, stuff, he but looks he's still that old. Way. I know. 
right? The wrong hit, it takes him down. Or, you know, it, it doesn't have to be the volume of throws. It could be the wrong throw of the wrong day. Or the hit. Yeah, the wrong hit. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm, I'm intrigued by Pittsburgh because I feel like we're just overlooking them. They we have are. one of the top we're coaches in the them. league. Uh, again, it's not like they dipped last year because of injury and now they're trying to work their way back up for one more run. It's one more run, but it's following up what was a really good season. Like, if we're just comparing teams here and what Pittsburgh did, I mean, what they pulled off to begin the year, we're very critical of them not having a run game. They, they started 10-0. I mean, it's hard to know. 11-0. They beat Baltimore then. Yeah, they beat Baltimore 19-14 in that mid Wednesday night game. Wednesday afternoon game. Yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. a 4 okay, o'clock so start. so they started 11-0. That was the game Dupree got. Yeah, 19-14. They, they, uh, they started 11-0. Their first loss was in December. December 7th, they lost to the Washington football team, 23-17, and then that's where it went downhill. 26-15, lost the Bills. They go to Cincinnati and lose. They beat the Colts. They lose the Browns in a close one to end the regular season and then lose in their first uh, playoff game. I, I do think that we are probably a little bit unfairly critical of them, overly critical based on the close of the season and completely okay. disregarding the start of the season. But I'm kind of with you, Paul, on I just can't get the end of the season out of my head. And I keep thinking that was the start of more of what's to come for Pittsburgh. And this feels like they're clinging to championship hope life for one season too many. But you look Based at that on roster, the conclusion of last season. You look at that roster, Hayward, Tewitt, Watt, mm-hmm. Devin Bush. Now they just traded for Schobert, which was weird to me. Uh, not good enough for Jacksonville, and, and they want him as a, as a starting inside linebacker. But, I mean, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, Terrell Edmonds, there's a lot of talent uh, on that roster. Well, Najee particularly Harris. Particularly defensively. As a, as a rookie, I mean, uh, if you're looking at a possible you know, rookie, uh, rookie of the year. Candidate. He's one of two rookie starters across their entire roster. Chase they, they Claypool was fantastic. And, well tight end. and I said it throughout the whole draft process. He's the perfect Pittsburgh Steeler pick, and he fell to the Steelers, and they, they drafted him. Yeah. And it seems like a perfect marriage where he's going to do big things right away. And Chase Claypool was a revelation. Juju Smith-Schuster's got to get back on track, right? Uh, Deontay Johnson had the drops problems. They've got some guys on offense who have to get back on track, but it should be a more balanced offense that would give them a chance to do I just, so. I mean, it, I, I, we, we felt... Isn't it weird, though, that we, we feel like they're third to Cleveland and Baltimore in that division? And I'm maybe and you could definitely make the argument that it should be Cleveland and Pittsburgh battling it out. I'm not so all year at the top of that division. That's, ve- a, that's a brutal division. It's very strange to me that everyone's buying Cleveland when we have the results of what Pittsburgh has done. Yeah, like people want to like Cleveland, but it, it, um, and, and it's I think it's easy to buy into what they're doing structurally, but it's it's extremely hard to argue against what Pittsburgh has done. We've mentioned where they really lack last year, where you need Juju Smith-Schuster to be better. Deontay Johnson can have the drops. They need a run game. They won while all of this was going on. They were winning. So that's what we leave out in the conversation about Pittsburgh is they have the coach and the quarterback to get them through certain situations and the defense to carry them, which they've always had. And because it's kind of similar to what goes on here in Nashville. Sure. Titans' defense was atrocious last year, and they won a division. Yeah. They won 11 games after, after three, four years of nine and seven, right? Yes. They couldn't get anybody off the field on third down, but they scored 30.5 points a game, and, and they won 11 games. 
You know, and they blew a play, a home playoff game. Look, this has this whole discussion has me questioning myself and my own thoughts on the the season when it comes to Pittsburgh. Because how much does recency bias play into our opinions on teams? We're taking the Cleveland Browns as the front runner in that division over the Pittsburgh Steelers because Cleveland won two games to end the season. They won the last regular season game. They beat them in the playoffs. And it's really for that reason alone. I'm sitting here thinking about it. I'm looking at both rosters, and I'm trying to justify why I think Cleveland is the clear front runner. And it really comes down to Momentum. Pittsburgh had a bad end of the season, and they lost 24-22 and 48-37 to in back-to-back weeks to Cleveland. And Cleveland went one round further in the playoffs last year. Which is odd and that Cleveland I'm added Jadavian Clowney, who we all hate. Yeah. Well, and then going into Week 17, it was a it it wasn't a meaningless game because Pittsburgh could have controlled who they played in the first week of the postseason. But the storyline there was if they lose, they get the Browns again in back to back weeks, and do they want that? Um, and, and the Browns and won they, that game without How would they approach Stefanski. the game starter wise? That was a big storyline in Week 17 for Pittsburgh. The Browns won that first playoff game. That was the game without Stefanski, right? Uh, yes. So they overcame a lot. Yeah, and, the, and Cleveland had to win that game. Pittsburgh did not. And I'm talking about the end of the regular season yeah. last year. But the playoff game was the one without the Stefanski. The playoff game not was without Stefanski. So yes. the, the Browns really did something in winning in, in winning the playoff. Steelers game. will open the season against Vegas at home. They have back to back games at home. They have Vegas and Cincy at home. Good They'll then travel to Green Bay and then host the Broncos. That's their first month of the season. Two of those games are terrific. Op- opening day in week three, Vegas, yep. and what was the third one? The Packers? Uh, Vegas uh, and uh, Green Bay, yeah. Those and are terrific first, games. First uh, two of the first three weeks of the season. I'm getting excited right now. It's a, you know, you, you go through the preseason, you don't really think about yeah. the, the matchups and stuff. You say those two, and I'm like, I wonder if I'm going to be able to watch those games. What time are the, the, Those sound like primetime games. PK headed to uh, a great week of work in Tampa for the Tennessee Titans. They're about to do a joint practice starting tomorrow with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the defending champions. We will discuss and set a primer for Bucks and Titans preseason work leading up to Saturday's preseason game number two. But really, the work's going to get done tomorrow and Thursday. That's all straight ahead in the Tennessee Power Hour on Outkick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.